0: it will help us every day it will brighten all our way if we keep on the sunny side of life
1: this is the sound of squim podcasting purple places and pleasant people on washington state's olympic peninsula i'm jill Varvel, your host today i'm at the dungeness wildlife center inside railroad bridge park in squim washington where we'll be interviewing pal jones the center's director I first learned about the Dungeness Wildlife Center and Railroad Bridge Park shortly after moving to the Olympic Peninsula in 2015. I was shopping at Sunny Farms, a local grocery store in Squim, and was chatting with one of the clerks. I was looking for a place to walk my dog, Mickey, and the clerk recommended Railroad Bridge Park, which is only about a mile away from Sunny Farms. So I drove over there to the trailhead and proceeded to walk the trail. Well, much to my surprise, this very trail is part of the Olympic Discovery Trail. And only after about a quarter of a mile, I heard this whoosh of rushing water, and I saw this beautiful bridge in the distance. The bridge crossed uh, basically over the Dungeness River. So after crossing over this beautifully situated bridge in the midst of a forest, did I spot the Audubon Center. It was closed at the time, but I peered in the window and saw what looked like a gift store with books and models of birds and native species and a list of classes was posted to the exterior along with a lot of other uh, regional upcoming events. So after having recently heard Pal Jones speak at a professional venue about the center, I knew he'd be an enlightening and educational guest for our podcast. So Pal, um, can you tell us about yourself?
0: Sure. So I'm actually from Squim. I was born and raised here uh, back in the 70s, of course, started in a small local town. It was much smaller than it is now. My parents moved here. They're both Washingtonians and kind of decided to etch their life out here. Uh, So I went to Squim High School and then I left and went to Central Washington University, uh, majored in geography, environmental studies, and philosophy. What I tell people is I majored in how to talk and uh, be in front of people. So after that, I worked for the Forest Service. Uh, I actually ended up back in swim because my girlfriend at the time, who would become my wife, uh, got a job teaching in the very classroom that I took biology in. Mm. So I came back to swim and pretty happy that I got here.
1: So that's how you more or less ended ended up back here on the Olympic Peninsula. So it, at what point, perhaps, was it in, in college or, I mean, did you always know that you wanted to pursue a career in in the conservation industry, if that's what you call it?
0: <laughs> yes, I think so. Uh, actually, when I was really young, my grandmother, who was an avid Audubonner, uh, began giving me things like Ranger Rick and these magazines and would take me to the beach and all that. Of course, my parents took me outside a lot, but I think it was really my grandmother that basically kind of introduced me to Audubon. So she actually asked me, when I was about 10 or 11, what do you want to do for a living or what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said two answers to her that she came back later in life and told me. I told her I either want to be a National Geographic photographer, of course, kind of like the glory thing there, or I wanted to work for Audubon. Uh, it was just kind of chance that I ended up back here, but I kind of see it as a chance that was meant to be. I, I guess I was aligned to do that. Uh, before I had this job, I was working for the Forest Service, and to work in Squam, uh, sometimes it's difficult to find a job in the industry that you necessarily work in or don't. Uh, I just happened to luck out because there was an AmeriCorps position here, actually. So, uh, trying to find something that I wanted to do. My wife was moving back here, or my girlfriend at the time, so I decided to apply for this AmeriCorps. At the time, they actually asked me if I would work in schools. And I said, schools are wonderful, but that's not my life plan. I really want to be working in the Forest Service, Park Service, Audubon, something like that. And so I got hired here. Um, I worked for about 11 months as an AmeriCorps worker, and then I contracted. And then I was hired as the education coordinator and I worked that for eight years and then I became the director about six or seven years ago.
1: Wow, that's quite a a background. Yeah,
0: exactly, from a dishwasher to cook, (laughs) head cook. I did the whole thing and I still do, you know, obviously the job has changed, but uh, being the director of a nonprofit like this where it's so involved in the community and obviously we have a park involved uh, my job is still the chief bottle washer and the <laughs> cook and everything and the owner uh, to keep the place running.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and who, who actually runs the Audubon Center?
0: Great question. Uh, many people that come into this place assume that it's a park that's run by city, county, state, federal, because that's what we're used to with parks. Um, that's an assumption that I would have made. Uh, the land is actually owned by the Jamestown Squallum Tribe. It went up for sale in the late 90s and basically the tribe bought it and said we want to open up this park in perpetuity to the public, but the public needs to be able to take care of it. So they need to take stewardship and ownership of this park and take care of it. We are going to open it to the public and we're going to help take care of it, but it's also the public's. So this park is actually closer to private property. It's actually Jamestown Sklaum tribal trust land right now. but it's really run off of the donations of people and the goodwill of people volunteering and helping take care of a place like this.
1: Uh, what do you, do you have a favorite thing that you like most about this park? I mean, there's so many different components to it, I about can see. the park
0: itself, I suppose my favorite thing would be is, is that I work on a river that I grew up on. So I come out here and I have memories not only of you know, teaching kids in the park and exposing them to the outdoors and the wonders of nature. But I also walk out there on that bridge or out on that, that river and I have these memories of being 11 years old floating down on a tube on a river that I love. So, you know, we call the river the lifeblood of the Dungeness Valley for a reason. It really provides a lot for this community. And so if I was to pick one part, it would be the river. That being said, it's really cool that we have a park like this, not only because I work here, but it's cool that we have a park like this that's available to us two miles from town. So we say it's this little retreat that you don't have to drive very far from, but you're in a retreat. So you can leave from your job in the middle of Squam and come for lunch and feel like you get away for a little bit. So the river would be my favorite part of the park. That being said, it's really hard to choose. (laughs) <laughs> I love all parts of the park because I have connections to them either through teaching people or my own experiences. And so it's kind of like picking a favorite bird if you're an Audubon director. I have many <laughs> birds that are my favorite and the park's the same. I have many parts of this park that I love, but the river's what calls me.
1: Well said. Do you, uh, what do you like best about living here on the Olympic Peninsula? Oh, wow.
0: Uh, Obviously, the whole thing I just talked about growing up here, the connection that I have. If I hadn't lived here before, you know, what I would say is my favorite is it's still a place that's not um, necessarily something that we have to restore, but something we have to preserve. It's a lot of places on Olympic Peninsula um, are still pretty untouched and still very worth saving instead of restoring. And that's one thing I really love about that. Um, I really love on the Olympic Peninsula how a lot of groups work together in partnership and want to make this place better. And so coming to an area where you feel like partnerships are a way of life instead of a necessity. It's just something we do. We partner with organizations and different community members and leaders to get things done. And I feel like other places that I've lived, although have been beautiful and wonderful places, I feel like the feeling of community here is very strong. And so far as living on the Peninsula, I'd say that's the community part. It's mm-hmm. about living out here and being part of that community not just living in a community.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you'd mentioned uh, a lot of the places around here. I mean, obviously this is a very special place, but do you have any other places just within the immediate vicinity that you like to go?
0: Yes. So I obviously run a volunteer organization. I also feel like uh, as part of being a community member that you need to volunteer on other things that you love that are not your job. So me volunteering for the Dungeness River Audubon Center is, if that's my job. It's not really volunteering. So in my spare time, mm-hmm. which I have a little bit, I actually am on the trail advisory committee of Miller Peninsula State Park, which is about a 3,500 acre park east of Sequim, uh, sitting out next to Squim Bay and Discovery Bay surrounds it. And so I spent a lot of time at Miller Peninsula State Park, either uh, riding my bike, <laughs> maintaining trails, or building new trails with permission, of course, from the landowners. But that's definitely a place in my heart that I love. Um, almost as much or as much as this park, just in a different capacity
1: of my life. Hmm. So you do a lot of bike riding. Sounds like that might be one of your hobbies.
0: I do do a lot of bike riding. Mm-hmm. So outside of birding, I am a biker. Mm-hmm. And so obviously one part about this park that I love is watching all of the people use the Olympic Discovery Trail. Uh, my love far as biking is mountain biking. And so I ride, race, my family races. Um, I go and do events kind of everywhere, but what really brought me to the volunteering at Miller Peninsula is I actually looked at me logging miles and I hit about over 8,000 miles ridden out there. And I started thinking about what I need to give back to that park because of what I'm taking. Just the, the escape, the meditation that that park gives me that I get back to it because of that. Uh, mountain biking in general, I do that because uh, I have to let go of everything so even though this is a wonderful job there's obviously stresses that come with any job mountain biking is one of those things that if i think about my job when i'm mountain biking i put my face into the ground or something like that and so it's one of those meditative activities that i can just it's not that i can let go of everything it's that i have to otherwise i mess up and so i absolutely love biking people have called me a monomaniac about it Ah. that i Do every part of it from trail building to advocacy to teaching kids to ride bikes. That is really what I do outside of this job. Yeah.
1: Wow. So uh, you you do a lot of teaching um, with regard to just you know you seem like you've really embodied your whole experience as a result of what you what you do on the work side of things and then as as you give back to the community. but the teaching part, um, what are what are some of the fav- your favorite things to teach kids about when you're taking them out, like on field trips and such, or, or, or nature hikes?
0: In a very broad sense, my va- very favorite thing to teach, uh, both kids and adults. So we do all ages, from four years old to 102 years old, for sure. My favorite thing to teach them about is where they live. I really want to give people an appreciation of where they live so when they go out and they're wondering about what bird is that, what animal is that, what tree is that, I feel like when you teach people about something, it gives them appreciation for that thing. Um, Something that you'll often hear me say in a lesson is my job is not to make people like a particular bird or a particular animal. It's to help them appreciate those animals or those birds and by appreciating that animal or bird, they learn to um take care of it doesn't mean you have to like it but it does mean that they have to have some kind of exposure to that animal that gives them a sense of this thing belongs here so my favorite kind of message to teach about is hey there are these animals out here we may not like a couple of these Uh, these are some of my favorites but two birds that i always teach about pretty much every lesson if i teach about a bunch of birds i lay a bunch of them out on a table like this of course I talk about something like a western screech owl and imitate their sounds and all that, but my two favorite birds to teach about are actually these two, uh, more because people don't like them. And so typically when I'm teaching a class and I'm talking about a goal or a crow or corvids in general, my message is you don't have to like these two birds but you have to appreciate them for what they are and then I tell them some stories about the birds and what's important to appreciate them about. So basically opening people's eyes to something that they may not like, but they don't know why they don't like it, and exploring that with them. Uh, the greatest satisfaction I have is, is when I hear somebody say something like, I really didn't like goals before this lesson, but now they're one of my favorites, or corvids. And that happens quite often when you teach people about the greater scope of what an animal is, or what a tree is, or whatever you're teaching in the ecosystem. So favorite thing to teach about is kind of the stuff that people don't necessarily like and to try to get them to at least appreciate it even if they still don't like it
1: that's a really powerful message is it kind of transcends into life like i mean there's a lot of people out there that we don't like or appreciate but we should have some respect for them right and it's it's kind of a I like that. That's a really powerful lesson. It's
0: actually how I start that lesson usually is I will ask the kids in the group, if it's a kids group, I'll say, do any of you play a sport? Are you really involved in that sport? Okay. You play baseball. Have you ever gone onto a field that has a five tool player that you're playing against? They can throw catch, do all the things. They're really good at it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to like them, but you have to appreciate them for their skill and what they are on a field. So typically, I do use people to talk, start that conversation with them. That just because you don't like something doesn't mean you can't appreciate it. So, you, cool. You're ahead on that lesson.
1: Well, I, <laughs> I kind of want to hear you tell me something that I should appreciate about that crow over there. But, um, I don't. I don't
0: know. If I can't easily. If you would like, <laughs> is the crow the one that you don't like? Yeah. Yeah. So I will tell one thing for the audience so they can t- take something from this about what it is to appreciate about this bird. Um, crows are one of the most uh, intelligent animals on earth. They can do a lot of things that we expect them not to be able to do. Uh, some of the ones that they can do is recognize themselves in a mirror, which there's only like chimps, dolphins, and a few other animals that can do that. Uh, they can use tools. they can actually talk. They love shiny things, just like many people, so they've been known to take wedding rings, tools, and all sorts of things from people. Uh, crows have a very familial um, atmosphere where their young, uh, the young from the last year will help raise the young from the next year, which is really unusual in the animal world. Uh, there's crow funerals, where crows actually mourn their dead. So there's a lot of people aspects to this bird and this bird actually. Both of them share a lot of the same commonalities about what makes them special. So often I joke at the end of the talk is the two birds that we uh, tend to not like the most are also the two most intelligent birds, which I find interesting Mm -hmm. that us as intelligent animals don't like other intelligent animals, whether we're maybe feeling threatened or
1: something Uh like that. I don't know,
0: but. it's a fun thing to teach about you know of course people want to hear about things like owls and that's probably a bird that i am very associated with because i teach classes about them but it's really these two birds that are the ones that are more fun to open people's eyes about
1: very fascinating thank you for sharing that (laughs) and i noticed he's looking at me uh, (laughs) we can make him look at me (laughs) uh so I guess um, we're starting to wrap up the, uh, the interview. How do you see the, the center um, fitting into the community?
0: Great question. Uh, so one way that we see the center fitting into the community is obviously being uh, a heart of the Olympic Discovery Trail. So being a place where people leap off, but we also um, obviously have big plans for our future. If people aren't aware, we are going to expand this building. We're gonna kind of reconfigure the park little bit, parking. Uh, We want to become a destination, not just for community members, but also draw people in regionally to our community as tourists and as ecotourism. We also want to be a place where our community feels like they can come to classes in a neutral environment. One of our big messages is, uh, we educate, we don't advocate. So you won't hear me say, you need to think this way or that way. And you can tell that by my message of how I talk about birds. We want to be able to teach people about a subject, um, a topic, and then have them draw their own conclusions because we believe that if you really educate uh, the full picture, that people will make reasonable and good choices. So our real fit in the community is providing those education classes, providing a spot for community events like River Festival, Bird Festival, Uh, in the future, lighting ceremonies on the bridge, a place to visit in the winter to take a walk at night with Christmas lights and have your company or family picture taken. But really we wanna be that community resource that hits um, a special space. So you come here because you want that special space either for your event or for yourself. And it's a fine line that we're walking to do both of those, but we think that we can make that work so you can find your special place where you can find your group's special place. So that's where we kind of see ourselves fitting in the community. Uh, beyond that, uh, in the state of Washington, it is legal to own waterways. So much of the Dungeness River, especially the lower 13 miles, is privately owned. And the Jamestown tribe sees this as their ancestral river and that our community should have access to our river. Mm-hmm. And it's when I say our, I mean our community not ours in the river center of the Jamestown tribe it's our river the community needs access to it this is one of the best access points to go down and touch a river that has a fabulous story of its own and connect with it and so we feel like a really big part of our um, job is just connecting people with their river their community their valley
1: wow well i can't imagine a, a more perfect person to take over and head up the center be the director as yourself you really have a great uh, philosophical position about about it and I appreciate it and uh, I really appreciate your time for the interview and um, if others who are listening to the podcast or uh, watching um, the, the video on YouTube or sound dot uh, want to learn more about the center how would you best direct them
0: Of course, the best way to learn more about the center is to come down and visit us, and I would love that and speak with people personally. Uh, Of course, you can check out our website, www.dungenessrivercenter.org, so you take the Audubon out of there and put the rest in. Uh, We have a Facebook page, we have an Instagram, you can look us up on either one of those, or if you really get into this place and you want to give back to your community, you can come and be a volunteer and you will learn so much about this place. What we tell volunteers is a quick pitch. Uh, You don't have to know a lot about birds, you just have to be a people person. So you have to be willing to talk. (laughs) And if you're willing to talk, uh, you'd make a great person inside the center. If you're not a talker, we also have jobs for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, We obviously run a 65 plus acre park, depending on where the river is. Um, And we need help taking care of that. So we love people to come down and say, hey, I really, my passion is plants. Can I work in your native plant garden? Absolutely. My passion is taking care of the trail. Let's help you reach your passion. Or even my passion is teaching about birds. Well, let's line up a class for you get an audience and have you teach about birds. So not only come down and learn more, but come down and get involved. And we would love to help you be part of our team. And eventually family is what I call our volunteers. We're a big family. Uh, The lifeblood of this organization is the people beyond me. I get to sit in front of people like yourself but reality is is that what makes this place work is amazing partnerships and amazing volunteers
1: well thank you you have helped There's a little something for everybody out there so really <laughs> I appreciate hope so. that. Cool. so and thank you again for uh, joining us the sound of Squim and uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you next time Keep on- the sunny
0: side, always on the sunny side, keep on the sunny side of life. It will help us every day, it will brighten all our way, if we keep on the sunny side of life.